This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. The scripture for today's message is found in Matthew chapter 22. If you have a Bible want to turn there, it's also on the screen behind me. It's Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, good morning again. We find ourselves in the second week of a sermon series that we are calling Exponential, the whole church on a whole mission to the whole world. And uh, as I thought about that this last week, it occurs to me, especially as I was reflecting on this passage that was just read for us, that... Um, it's pretty easy to, uh, to underachieve in our spiritual lives when it comes to these two commandments that Jesus spoke to the, uh, the teacher of the law. In fact, um, uh, did, did any of you as a kid have uh, parent-teacher conferences that your, your parents went to on your behalf? Yeah. Or maybe, you're, maybe some of you who are parents of kids are going through that process now, every year. Anyway, for me, it was always kind of a love-hate sort of deal because I was a pretty good kid. You know, um, in fact, if, if, uh, if there was a kid that kind of to, uh, uh, warmed up to the teacher very quickly, it was usually me, and I had sort of this sense of humor, and they really liked me. But it always, it always happened that when my parents came home from the parent-teacher conference, they'd say, oh, the teacher really, really thinks you're a great kid, and, and uh, you're, you're funny in, in class. You know, that's a two-edged sword, by the way, kids. So if you're funny, be careful with that. And then my parents would inevitably say, year after year after year, they'd say, you know, um, the teacher said one thing that we want to uh, just tell you, and that is that you're, you underachieve. You are not living up to what she thinks or he thinks you are capable of. And I can't tell you how many years in a row that was my parent-teacher conference report. And I don't think I figured it out until sometime in graduate school, actually. I think I underachieved for a long, a long time. Through college, man, if I can do the paper the night before and get a, a B, why would I want to do it early and possibly get a higher grade than that? What would be the point? Anyway, I think that sometimes in our spiritual life, we are, we are spiritual underachievers. And, and the reason we are is because um, we either get distracted or we just put in enough effort to sort of make it appear as if we're committed to this thing called discipleship. And I think what Jesus is addressing here, this gospel summed up, if you will, is uh, spiritual underachievement. And the remedy, I believe, for spiritual un- underachievement, when it comes to leaving, living our lives in such a way that we can live exponentially, that we can have a, a, an amazing impact on our, on our families, on our communities, on our neighborhoods, on our world, is by paying attention to these two 
very simple commands of Jesus. Love God and love your neighbor. You see, when the Pharisee approached Jesus on this particular day, uh, Jesus had grown by this point in his ministry quite adept at sidestepping questions that were directed at him, especially by teachers of the law, Pharisees, um, that, that were an effort to, to entrap him. And at this particular occasion, this Pharisee wanted to prove that Jesus was just a charlatan, that Jesus wasn't really the Son of God, that, that he was one among many of these sort of prophetic uh, people that kind of blew into town, d- preached their message, and blew out. This is what this teacher of the law was trying to prove. And, and this particular Pharisee, as most Pharisees, he knew the law. He, he was well adept at, at the, what the scriptures say. He also understood, as most Pharisees in this time, understood that the application of the law uh, and what that looked like in a, in a Jewish religious context. Because that's what, how Pharisees are trained. And, and we are given in this text that was read a moment ago a glimpse of the motives of this particular Pharisee Right at the outset, when the scripture says this, an expert in the law tested him with this question. Tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? The Pharisee knew already when he asked this question that there were 613 commands in the Old Testament. 248 of those commands are positive commands. In other words, do this and... uh, 365 of those commands were negative commands, which means don't do this. And as part of his pharisaical religious training, every Pharisee was not only required to memorize these 600 and some odd commands, but they also knew the context and the exceptions that accompanied every command. That's what they did. And as Jesus begins to answer this loaded question, he does so by by reaching back into the Old Testament scripture that the teacher of the law was very likely already familiar with. And in effect, Jesus says, this is what love looks like. Jesus doesn't seem to be bothered by the motives of, of, or the intentions of this particular religious leader as he approaches him to entrap him. Uh, Matthew doesn't give us any clues whether or not Jesus was having a good day or a bad day. We don't really know for sure. But Jesus accepts this question that is asked of him at face value. And then he suggests that the whole law can be summed up in rather two brief and simple statements of faith a kind of creed, if you will, a Jesus creed. If Scott McKnight was here, that's what he would call it. The first and the greatest commandment, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus wasn't telling the Pharisee at this point anything that he didn't already know. This verse from the Jewish law is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. You can find it there if you were to go to it right now, and it's called the Shema. 
S-H-E-M-A, and it is probably among the very first and, and most well-understood passage of the entire uh, set of Jewish holy books we called our Old Testament. And as the Pharisee was, was being trained in the Jewish law as a young man, he would most likely have memorized this passage and subsequently recited it many, many times during the course of his theological training. Every day, a pious Jew said the Shema. When they rose from bed in the morning, they said the Shema. They repeated it multiple times during the day, and before they went to back to bed in the evening, guess what? They said the Shema. Jesus doesn't tell this inquiring Pharisee anything that he doesn't already know. In fact, by responding to this Pharisee in this particular way, Jesus passes the religious leader's test, if, if you will, with flying colors. Because of the 613 commands in the Jewish Bible, the Shema was believed to be an adequate summary of all of them. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop after he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. He goes on to quote another verse from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, which says the second greatest commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this verse wouldn't have been unknown to the Pharisee that approached Jesus either, except for the fact that Jesus combines in this one statement to this Pharisee, both of these very significant commands from the Bible. He combines love of God with love of neighbor in the same breath. And the Jewish law has all kinds of provisions for taking care of the poor. Don't misunderstand me. They, they care about the sick. They, they care for the widows. But it was not common that the love of God and the love of neighbor was linked so significantly, like Jesus did it in this particular occasion. What Jesus is saying is actually pretty astounding to the ear of someone trained in the Jewish law. Jesus is suggesting this. He's suggesting that, that true religion is not only concerned about one's vertical relationship with God, but true religion is also concerned about one's horizontal relationship with neighbor. Jesus is reinforcing that it is impossible to love God without also expressing our love to our neighbor. It's impossible. And as I have uh, thought about this text during this past week in preparation for today, I must admit to you that I, um, I don't even know the names of my neighbors who live on each side of me. How could I know their needs enough to care for them, to express the love of God to them, the generosity of God to them, if I don't even know their names? Now, maybe I have an excuse because I just got here. 
Maybe my neighbors aren't very friendly. And and they don't want to get to know the new renters in the street, in the house at the end of the street anyway. But I'm not going to be so quick to let myself off the hook. You see, if we want to to know and help our neighbors, the, the place to start is we've got to know their names. At the very least, we have to make an effort somehow to, to, uh, to reach over the fence, so to speak, and say, hi, I'm Brad. If we genuinely want to be a, a conduit of, of God's love in the world, it begins not in some faraway country, in, 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 in some dark, dank jungle in Central Africa. It begins at the property line where we live. Now, this might look different for each of us depending on a variety of factors, and I, I, I understand that. But because of my desire to practice what I preach, which you know, is harder than it looks sometimes, I want you to know that I am attempting to get to know my neighbors here of Community Covenant Church. A few weeks ago, I stopped over at the Baptist Church down here and I introduced myself to Reverend Green. What an interesting man. And we sat and talked for about an hour. I, I, I stopped over recently at the Catholic Church to, to meet the Catholic priest just down the street from us. I've also contacted and am planning to meet with other pastors of some of the churches that serve in this community alongside Community Covenant Church. Why do I do this? Because I believe this is one of the ways that we can be good neighbors. And not just that big church across the highway that, that, that is intimidating to most of the pastors and people in those little churches. And I do this because I don't see other churches as, as competition. You know, we're, we're way past that, folks. Um, if, we're not, if we're not doing the work of the kingdom together, um, there's not going to be much hope. Because the world out there is so lost and so secularized in, in, in a certain sense that um, I think sort of the infighting between uh, various church groups is a, is a thing of the past. These are our neighbors, whether we know it or not. And, and, and I believe that if we love God the way Jesus is suggesting in this text this morning, that we have very little choice but to get to know our neighbors. For Jesus, listen to this, for Jesus, neighbor love is just as important as godly love. Now, um, Neighbor love is harder than it looks. And I've already sort of, you know, confessed to you out loud publicly, you know, that I don't do it as well as I should. But, but sometimes our neighbors make it difficult for us to love them. Like the neighbor who, who I had once that lets their dog wander into my yard and do his business. That was a hard neighbor for me to love. Sometimes our neighbors aren't very nice like the colleague at work who badmouths people behind everybody's backs, which leads us to wonder, what do they say about us when we're not there? That's a hard neighbor to love. Sometimes our neighbor has inadvertently hurt us deeply. 
and they don't even know it. Yet regardless of which of these particular circumstances may be true for you today, the implications of Jesus' command to love God and love neighbor is the same. Well, in addition to these specific scenarios that I've just sort of referred to here, that make us difficult for us sometimes to love our neighbor, there are some other obstacles that I just want to point out to you that sometimes get in the way of this neighbor love. So what are these obstacles that keep us from both loving God and loving our neighbors at the same time? Here, here are a couple. Uh, number one, we underestimate that this is a spiritual battle. You see, God does not want us to love God, excuse me, the evil one does not want us to love God more and love our neighbors. That's the last thing that he wants. And, and he does everything within his power to distract us, to, to, to provide us with excuses why we can't do that, to constrain us, to limit us, to restrict us from living a love like this. We need to push against our, our predisposition to cocoon ourselves off in our, our existing social networks and, and reach to those people who are neighbors just beyond our reach. Our community needs to experience this. The kingdom of God is displayed when we love like this. The second obstacle is that it's often a matter of time allocation, right? Now, I don't doubt for a moment that there's anyone here today who is busy doing all kinds of really important things in your life, in your family, in your career, whatever it is. The fact of the matter is that we can talk about loving our neighbors all we want, but until we walk next door and introduce ourselves, Hi, I'm Brad. Until we leave space in our calendars, until we give up time to volunteer at the public school, until we take time to discover the needs of our neighbors, whatever they may be, we will never do anything about it. It is fundamentally about time allocation. The third obstacle that we sometimes have to face when it comes to living this God and neighbor love is that it's really ultimately a matter of prayer. It's, it's really unlikely that, that, that you're going to wake up one day and say to yourself, I think I'm going to wander next door and get to know my neighbor. I think I'm going to go volunteer at the soup kitchen, New Hope on the last frontier. I think it doesn't happen that way. That happens on TV. I have discovered that when when something is important enough for me to begin to pray about it, God does this wonderful thing. This wonderful thing, which, which moves me off my knees and onto my feet where, where I am better prepared to, to serve. It's, it's, it's crazy, but it's happened many times. It's counterintuitive, really. If we want to embody love like this, then we must learn to, to love God more. I know that sounds a little sissy-like for all you manly men out there, but our ability to love our neighbor always begins with having our hearts broken 
by the things that break the heart of God. That's where it always begins. And the only way we will discover those things is by being in constant and regular connection with God in prayer. The fourth obstacle is that it's a, it's a condition of urgency. And we all know what urgency looks like just by simply watching the news in the last week, don't we? When the... Uh, when the local and state and federal authorities want to find a perpetrator of a crime and it's urgent, it'll happen. Likewise, if we find something urgent enough to, in our life, in our schedule, it's going to happen. That's the way we're wired. You see... Developing a life that expresses our love for God and our love of neighbor is not something that we can sort of afford to get around to, you know, later, after we retire, after we get through this difficult period of time in our our work schedule, our family life. You know, after we get back from vacation, we'll be more relaxed. Ah, it doesn't happen. It never happens. When Jesus was confronted that day by this inquisitive Pharisee, he could have summarized the gospel in a variety of other ways, but he didn't. Jesus went back to the heart of the Jewish tradition and he answered the Pharisee's question like this, Love God and love your neighbor. This is what Rich Stern says about this in the book that we have made available to you for free. And I hope you're reading it or thinking about reading it. But he says this, if we truly love God, we will express it by loving our neighbors. And when we truly love our neighbors, it expresses our love for God. Church, Community Covenant Church, we have experienced God's love and faithfulness Many times, both as a body, but also as individuals of this body. We have a track record. This church has a track record of ministry in this community that has brought life and light into dark places. We have stories to tell about God sticking with us while, while we wandered and, and strayed from our faith. We can give witness to the faithfulness of God in our lives as we have faced challenges that we didn't think we could possibly overcome. We can proclaim the glory of God's love because we have experienced it. We have received it. with no strings attached. And as a result, we have been given a privilege to express this love in our relationships with our neighbors who live next door, our neighbors who live down the street, our neighbors who are at our place of work, our neighbors who are in this congregation, and our neighbors who live around the world. I want to live a 
a love like this. Will you join me? If this sounds like the kind of exponential life that you are seeking, if if you find yourself right now in a place where you are a underachieving spiritually, and there are many here for whom that is true, I suspect, then I want to invite you today to make a decision to do two things differently than when you walked in here. To love God more and extend yourself to your neighbor more. And, and to kind of kick this thing off, I'm going to ask you, if you want, to join me in a prayer that is on the screen behind me as, as a way of, of making that public commitment to do something different starting now. Let's pray this prayer together. God of love, we thank you for loving us as we are. We confess that our love for others is only a shadow of the divine love we have come to recognize as recipients of your affection. Strengthen our commitments to love you and call us to a neighbor love that expresses your love in tangible ways to those who you have placed in our lives who need to experience love like this. Through Jesus, the lover of our souls. Amen. Oh.